Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, one of my favorite movies is now, I suppose, a oldie but goldie. I'm talking about Close Encounters of the Third Kind, one of Steven Spielberg's early masterpieces. Maybe some of my listeners will remember there was a kind of UFO alien craze back in the 1970s, and it produced all kinds of crackpot books and movies and stuff. But Spielberg's movie, I think, was different because even though it was about aliens, the arrival of, of uh, you know, space people and all this, it spoke, I think, some truly universal spiritual themes. You might recall the plot. Some very ordinary people are visited by spacecraft from another world. They see marvelous things, and then they're physically marked by the light that comes from these spacecraft. But even more deeply, it becomes apparent. They are psychologically and spiritually marked because they all begin to feel a compulsion to come to this place that they don't really know. They know there's some, somewhere they have to go, and they've got a very inchoate, indefinite sense of it. And the obsession begins to grow in them. They even begin to imagine and then artistically to reproduce this place that they're seeing in their, in their mind's eye. It looks something like a great tower. So the main character, played by Richard Dreyfus, who was in all kinds of movies back in the 70s, including Jaws, remember? So Dreyfus forms a simulacrum of the tower in his mashed potatoes one night as he's eating. It's a, it's a wonderful scene because his family is looking at it. What in the world is he doing as he's making this sculpture, beautifully crafted, of a thing he doesn't entirely understand, but which is obsessing him? Now, practically everyone around these chosen few thinks that these poor people have lost their mind. And they try to convince them to forget about all this craziness, but, but they can't. They're, they're marked. They're chosen. They're obsessed. So finally, a, a handful of them from around the world kind of sort it out. They understand where they're supposed to go. And the Dreyfus character, of course, is one of them. And they begin making their way to the famous Devil's Tower out in Wyoming. They realize that's the place that they've been seeing in their imaginations, though they didn't really understand it. That's the place they've been painting and sculpting and obsessing about, though they didn't fully understand where it was or why they were so obsessed by it. So they're coming now to Devil's Tower, these handful of people that have made it so far. And though the whole area is blocked off by troops, these chosen few make their way up the mountain. 
And they're finally in a position to witness what they were meant to witness, which is the arrival, you might remember this climactic scene in the movie, the arrival of the great mothership from which these smaller craft have come forth. They are there for the ultimate close encounter. Okay, so you're wondering, why is this bishop rehearsing for me the plot of this movie from the 1970s? Well, it's because of the feast we celebrate this weekend, namely the Feast of Epiphany. Epiphany means manifestation, doesn't it? The readings speak of a light that shines on Israel, the chosen people. But listen, the light is meant not just for Israel. It's meant for the whole world. A light that is a beacon summoning all the nations to Mount Zion to come up the mountain to see something they're all meant to see. So listen to these beautiful lyrical passages from the prophet Isaiah. Nations shall walk by your light and kings by your shining radiance. The riches of the sea shall be emptied out before you and the wealth of the nations shall be brought before you. Caravans of camels shall fill you. All from Sheba shall come bearing gold and frankincense and proclaiming the praises of the Lord. Okay, what is Isaiah talking about here? Well, Israel had always known that it was a privileged nation, right? That God had in this particular way shown his light upon her. But see, it's the prophets, especially Isaiah, who begin to see something of extraordinary importance. That what had been given to Israel was not meant for Israel's glory alone, but rather it was meant for the good of the whole world. And now here's the key implication. I hope you begin to see now why I brought Close Encounters in. Whatever the other nations were looking for, they would ultimately find in the glory of Israel. What they were seeking inchoately, without fully understanding, Israel was seeking explicitly. Again, it's strange to say, but listen, though they didn't realize it fully, the other nations were, in fact, hungry and thirsty for the God of Israel. All of their accomplishments and cultural achievements were, in some sense, a hint, an echo, an anticipation of what God would accomplish through Israel. Keep pressing it. All their philosophy, all their religion, all their art, their literature, and their science would find in a mysterious way its fulfillment in the light shining on Israel.
Now we see it. If Isaiah is right, then all these great cultural avatars and figures, philosophers, scientists, seekers, religious people from all over the world, were in fact like those characters from Close Encounters who were painting and sculpting an object that fascinated them, but that they in fact barely knew. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? In their own work, in their own achievements, in their own religiosity and spirituality, in their own philosophy, they were in fact seeking what God would show in the light of Israel. Now, I know, I know, I get it. You you might be tempted to say, well, look, this all sounds a bit like cultural imperialism or chauvinism. I mean, so what, Aristotle, Plato, Confucius, the Buddha, the Upanishads, I mean, all of these cultural achievements and great figures look to Israel? Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But see, remember the stunning claim of the Christian faith. That Jesus is not one philosopher or sage or political figure among many. He's not just another wise religious teacher. Rather, he is the word made flesh. Logos, right, in John's language. That means the divine mind, the great pattern, the intelligibility through which all things were created, toward which all minds are tending. Therefore, yes, we have to say that any attempt to find the good or the true or the beautiful in some sense, leads to him. Finds its deepest fulfillment in him. The light shining on Zion, the light of Israel, is meant to be the light for the whole world. Okay? Now, with all that in mind, with Isaiah in mind, with close encounters in mind, we read this famous story of the Magi. Who are the Magi? Well, the word in the gospel is magoi. It's a strange word, you know, magic, magician, or related to that. Who are these magoi? I mean, would you say magicians, astrologers, astronomers, sages? I mean, all those would probably be legitimate renderings. We know that east of Jerusalem in sort of Persian lands, there was a, a culture of stargazing. We'd say probably a combination of astronomy and astrology, but they were something like that. They were from this high intellectual culture. That's why I think they can best be taken as representative of the intellectual and cultural longings of the human race. These are not like the shepherds, very simple people, to whom the angels appeared on Christmas night. This represents now the 
more sophisticated, cultural, intellectual, scientific, philosophical longing of the human heart. They are indeed, these three magoi, these wise men, symbolic of science, art, philosophy, literature, all forms of cultural achievement and aspiration. Their surveying of the night sky is evocative, I think, of all forms of intellectual searching, all of our attempts to attain the true and the good and the beautiful. Look, what are all wise people of any discipline looking for? Some form of intelligibility, right? Some pattern, some meaningful arrangement. What are all artists trying to create? Something with consonance, integrity, and luminosity. Well, who is Jesus Christ? He is the great pattern. He is the Logos. He is meaning with a capital M. He's form. He's the divine mind. He's the intelligible in itself. And so, as Isaiah predicted long before the arrival of Jesus, his light, think now the light of the star, his light is indeed the illumination of all the world. To his light, all seekers are indeed destined to come. Don't read this as imperialism or cultural chauvinism, but read it as a sign of of great hope. There is a goal to our intellectual, artistic searching. There is a fulfillment of the deepest longing of the human heart, and it's found in Jesus Christ the light of the world. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.